Welcome to the podcast, Moving Through Fear, where we explore the role fear has in leading us toward what's most important. I'm Craig Strong, photographer, inventor, and co-founder of Lens Baby Inc. Along the way, I've met a lot of amazing people who've learned a great deal about how to live life well. In these one-on-one conversations, we explore the role fear and negative emotions have played in, of all things, making life better. In this conversation with Susan Curry, we talk about becoming. We talk about taking your wonder for a walk. Susan is a creative on many levels, and she explores how she got there from being someone who felt like everybody else was more qualified to be a creative, was more qualified to be a a photographer. She came to a space where now she's teaching other people how to find that within herself. So this is a powerful conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. I think you can walk away knowing that you're going to have some questions to answer that will help you become closer to who you are and truer to your nature as an artist and as a person. Today, I'm privileged to have a conversation with Susan Curry. She describes herself as a poet with a camera seeking a life lived quietly. Every day she wakes up and is reminded that there's something new to learn. Susan's been using Lens Baby lenses, which is what brought us together and allowed us to have this conversation since 2017 when she walked into B&H Photo, put a Lens Baby spark of all things on her camera and felt like there was something promising there. So Susan, welcome. It's a privilege to have a conversation with you after quite a few back and forths over the years. Welcome to the Moving Through Fear podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for doing this. It's great. Yeah, you're you're absolutely welcome. I'm I'm curious before we get into the deeper questions about moving through fear. I'm I'm curious about this first experience at BNH Photo with your lens baby spark. Describe what happened. I had been a photographer um, with this portrait business for maybe ten years at that point, taking workshops whenever I had free time. Very focused on the technical aspects because that's what I thought I needed to be doing in order to, you know, keep up with, with everyone. And not really ever seeing results that wowed me, that spoke to me. I just felt like there was always something more out there and I happened to be in New York City. I always have my camera with me when I'm there. Walked into B and H where I can spend hours like just trying out new things. I happened to go over to the lens counter. I probably had heard about Lens Baby somewhere in the back of my consciousness in a workshop or something, but I started talking to this gentleman. He put one on my camera and I said, What do you do? And he just said, Squeeze it and tilt it and pretty much sold. The price point was reasonable. It was totally different. It worked with my Nikon uh, D700 at the time. So off I went and I started shooting, I would say like that afternoon, images that I never knew I had in me. And they were fun, they were happy accidents. I was not so focused on technical perfection or this or that. It was just a, a doorway opened and I, I really never looked back from that from that point on. I've been adding to my collection since then, but I, I still come back to that spark. And honestly, I think there's nothing like it, especially roaming the streets of New York. 
Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And I am so impressed that your very first lens baby was a flexible body lens baby because those are the ones with the steepest learning curve and it sounds like you were good to go out of the gate that's that's awesome yeah. so yeah so on to the the mission statement which is about moving through fear and i'm wondering in your life can you remember an early time when there was anxiety or fear or anticipation about something that was really important for you in retrospect to have have moved through and and how'd you do it yeah i guess i would just say the biggest fear that i've overcome is this finding this audacity to pursue a creative life i was not raised in a home with poetry or art it was music but i wasn't introduced to photography i was really taken to museums and i went to college and studied business thinking that get out and have a job and and lived that kind of conventional life. And I think I took a night photography class in my early 20s and just started becoming obsessed with photography and attending workshops that I probably had no business attending and going to gallery openings. Just always thinking that I didn't have the acumen that the people around me had or the business really to be studying photography, taking pictures, and then putting myself out there eventually as a portrait photographer. But I just always stay with that. I don't know where that really comes from. But I, I think there's just that general fear that I, I had no business being an artist, but yet I, I was drawn to it and I, I followed that thread and, and still, still do. I totally relate to that sense of being in workshops and feeling like an imposter. I didn't yeah. see things the way that others did, maybe because of their, their grooming. And, yeah. and I was always a little bit handicapped in, in some way, starting out so late. Hmm. What did you see as the outcome of living a creative life? Was it a particular vision that you had? What was, what was your dream? It was to take pictures, to make pictures. Hmm. Um, it was never so much, oh, I want to get in the gallery or anything like that. It was just, I want to express the beauty that I, that I see somehow through only the, the lens that I can do it. Music was a big part, of, it still is a big part of my life, always. The lyrics have always spoken to me, and there's just always like a little something running through my brain where the switch is never off. I, I can't um, just let, let things go maybe as other people can, and it's a curse sometimes, but I wanted to make pictures, and, and that was my initial dream. And then from there, writing stemmed from that very organically, and now I'm doing something completely different, which is Again, I'm just kind of following the, the curve. Well, you talk about writing, and you sent this book to me at the perfect opportune time for me to read it and to just have have that act of kindness. Thank you so much. Oh, um, but absolutely. the book is super flow, light up the artist in you. What was the what was the foundation of that? What were the earliest thoughts that hey, I need to write a book, and this what it, this is what it needs to be about? What were the yeah? What's the foundation? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm grateful that I've uh, had a couple of books published prior to that by an independent publisher in Portland, Maine, and she has always been encouraging me to, to blaze new trails. So the previous books were poetry and, and words and images, and this was a little bit more instructional in nature. I credit my spiritual practice a lot with completely changing the way I make art and move through this world. But I would take creative workshops for many years and I just felt like everybody was always, especially if it was like a big name instructor, everybody was 
so fast, just in there trying to learn as much as they could, trying to get the best lens on their camera, just speed their way through. And that just never felt right for me. I would always kind of come away from these workshops feeling like, "Eh, what did we all get out of that? So through the gift of years, the gift of my spiritual practice, I just started embracing the the long view a little bit more. I'm a serial collector of quotes of creative content. My desk is perpetually filled with something. I just got this in the mail today, The Artist's Reality. which is a book by Mark Rothko, who I love, and I never knew that he had written anything. So I, I've always got something like that around me. I'm always sharing media with friends, with other artists. When the pandemic hit, I just felt like I read The Artist's Way. I, you know, I've bought so many of these different books on the creative process, and I just think we're living in a different time where people don't have maybe uh, the luxury to sit with practices that are so labor-intensive that those types of books teach. I just wanted to come up with something that was a slightly easier concept to get to get your arms around. I wanted to very much communicate this idea that the creative practice is not just about flying out there and shooting or picking up the paintbrush, but to taking that time well in advance of that to sort of empty the mind and get a little quieter and mm-hmm. connect with your, your truer self. So I know it's not for everybody, and I'm so appreciative that you you found something in it, but I I do just think for me that recipe has been really a game changer, and in in some of the creative workshops that I teach now, I really try to be upfront with people that we are going to take it slow, and this is what we're going to try, and I see a lot of small epiphanies in those settings, so it's a small tribe that's listening, but it could ripple. Oh, I expect it will, maybe in obvious ways, maybe in more subtle ways. I will say that for me, as you're talking about your journey of coming in and feeling like an imposter or feeling like you're not worthy of some of these projects and feeling like people are running ahead of you and and you're not quite sure that that's your path, I approach or I, I picked up the Superflow and immediately felt graciousness. Like you start by saying, there's nothing to memorize. You don't need to take notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to even fully absorb or absorb anything that you're reading. Just spend some time here. And if something resonates, come back and read it again. Mm-hmm. And you end it with a report card that you say, this is for nobody but you. This is only for you, and it's only to be constructive. It, it feels like there's a lot of graciousness. Do you feel like you've been gracious toward yourself through this process, or you know, is that the years that have given you more graciousness? Not, not always, no. It's definitely the years. It's definitely a confidence. And again, I would credit on a, a Buddhist path and the teachers that I've studied with. And there's an emphasis for there's no one more worthy than well, than the one seated right here. I really do try to be kind to myself and in, in more ways than I once did in life. And I think mm-hmm. slowing down is the biggest gift that we can give uh, to ourselves, just mm-hmm. expecting less. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I do now, but if that was not always the case. I don't beat up on myself nearly as much as I, as I once did. Do you, do you remember when that started to shift? Can you talk about the contrast of being that hard on yourself, whether it's a specific instance where you shifted to be more kind to yourself or just over a short period of time where you started to see that that change. Do you have any stories that might share that transition? 
I mean, a complete uh, pivot from my art journey, but my creative journey, but I discovered the practice of yoga about 20-something years ago. I had been somebody who was always into sports and at the gym all the time and having these benchmarks always, I think, to to do more, to be more efficient. And when I discovered the practice of yoga and all of a sudden there was this space where you were not competing with the person next to you, where you were told to move at your own pace, let the class meet you wherever you're at, all this language that was just so freeing to me. And that was definitely an inflection point for me looking back. And it went on to completely inform my creative process. And had I never met that practice, I, I may have still been striving and looking for that podium finish, which I'm no longer seeking. So coming into it with a competitive background and wanting to be the best in athletics, especially, what did you find as a motivator to to get better at this practice and to master this? You mean at, at my art or at I think both, but primarily the, the yoga practice. That's a great question. Well, I think I just started to feel a lot better myself. I, I was moving a little more intentionally the longer I stayed with the practice. And I think that that was very freeing for me. And just completely in terms of my uh, emotional health, my, my physical health, it was just a whole new way to, to live. I just relaxed. And did you find your spiritual practice through your yoga practice? Yeah, I did, actually. Again, I started out initially thinking, oh, this is great. I can, you know, do five chaturangas and build up my arm strength and all this. And then over time, my practice sort of opened a doorway into these little insights, spiritual insights. And then I became a little more intentional about studying Buddhism and, and sharing that in the classes that I would teach. I went on to become a yoga instructor for a while. I don't know if that, that answers your question, but. Definitely. Yeah. I, and I think about all the ways that you've already described that, that your creative expression has been expressed, that you've, you've been approaching this from multiple different directions. Can you go through what you consider to be your creative expression throughout your life? When you say my creative expression, you mean the different, uh, so words, pictures, did you say you've painted? Sure. I've always worked part-time in addition to my creative life. I think it's a, a way for me to get out of my head a little bit and have some other task to, to focus on. So I've been doing writing and communications outside of the art world part-time for, for in the nonprofit sector for quite a while. So in addition to having my portrait business, I was always working and, and developing you know, some skills for writing. And I guess it was, I, I don't want to make this an ad for Lens Baby, but it was definitely these new images that started to come out of my camera that I just went with and trusted and loved and made me happy and surprised. And they started to prompt a little more needed to be said. And so I started just writing some free verse, never expecting that I would be writing poetry or anything like that. And a few collections just kind of came together. This was over the past five or six years. I'm actually not writing any poetry right now, but it just, something was coming along. I was recording it, channeling it. And after many, many years, I found a publisher who understood it, this marriage of words and images and, and I taught some workshops in and around that. I really enjoy teaching if we can ever get back to in-person learning. So I do that as well. And I lived in Boston all my life. 
And about three years ago, I moved to Southern Florida, to West Palm Beach, and was immediately struck by this vibrant colorscape, which is all around me, uh, all around us here. And I started taking pictures of color, which was very different from what I had recorded in New England. I was so interested in fog and mist autumn and all of that, those kinds of hues in New England. But here I was taking pictures of pink and green and lime. And so from that, over time, I started to develop a, a color library. And this is really going off, off a tangent. I, I don't paint, but I take those colors and I place them into the 26-letter nautical code alphabet. And I abstract those letters and I've created a line of, of, of artwork called code which I print on a, a very thick uh, acrylic box. And it's having some commercial success, but, you know, it's not anything I saw coming. <laughs> Again, it was just sort of, I always had this love of the nautical code alphabet. Here I am living along the ocean. I've got all this color, something. Again, gave me the audacity to marry the two. And, and it's been a few years now that I've been working on this collection. And it's fun. It's taking me in some new directions. And so I'm not really writing since Superflow was published. But yeah, that's where I'm at now. What tomorrow holds, who knows? But I just really do try to keep a, an open spirit about uh, we don't have any control over this. So yeah. pay attention yeah. and see what, what comes up. So I am hearing the combination of multiple things that are important to you coming together in this nautical code alphabet and colors and and artwork that's that's being recognized i love that because that's the stage where i do get into the flow state is when things that are disparate that wouldn't normally be put together mm -hmm. all of a sudden say oh those two things could be what i see and could be what no one else sees and it sounds like that's the case here can you describe your artwork since we're it, probably an audio program only yeah i knew that a lot of photographers print on acrylic but i really had a, something in mind i wanted to find something superior that would make these these designs pop so i found some great guys in seattle some artists who i work with and they produce this fabulous diamond polished acrylic one inch thick blocks with hardware on the back so there's no interference on the front and we just started printing some prototypes of these designs and they were really fun they they are 10 by 10 each individual letter they form a grid install on a wall so it's a pretty big install when all 26 letters are there and i kind of created them with a palm beach audience in mind to be honest with you people their houses are pink <laughs> their pillows are coral like things are very bright on the interior uh, side down huh. here so i i took a lot of those those same colors and and wanted an output that would really make them pop so yeah they're they're fun they're really heavy i've since designed a second rendition of the alphabet that's a little more abstract some people like to acquire like four of them, spell out a word, a code that has some significance to them, maybe love or joy or, or a last name even. So people are buying them for all sorts of different reasons. And I found a, a local gallery here that was interested in them. And then fast forward to this year, they're going to be this summer at a gallery in the, in the Hamptons. Fantastic. So, yeah, again, never saw this coming. This was the last thing I could have ever 
predicted, but it's been fun, and it, it has involved very little selling on, on my part. It's just sort of they're striking a chord for whatever reason with, with certain people. Oh, that's the best. That's really great. Can you tell so, us what the nautical, is it the nautical code alphabet? Can you tell us what yeah. the foundation is for this? So it's a 26 letter universal alphabet. You've seen these little flags, I'm sure, on boats, A, B, C, D, and each letter has a, a phonetic translation. Alpha, Bravo, Delta, Charlie, Echo, Foxtrot, Golf, and they can be used universally at, at sea to indicate different messages. One flag may mean, I need a tug. One flag may mean, we've got someone on board who's got a health issue. And I see primary colors are needed in order to be more recognizable. But my pipe dream was, well, if I'm gonna make art for indoors, what, they don't have to be in primary colors, so maybe I can make them pink and this and that. And yeah, it's a very simple geometry, the 26 uh, flags. And I've always been, just found that simplicity was very like elegant and but wanted to see them in something other than green and yellow and, and red. It, it took living, I guess, by the sea to kind of, to bring it all together. And can you paint the picture for this grid? Yes, so because everybody's interested in grid install these days, we do seven rows of four and we do two color blocks that do not have any relevancy that just to make it a grid like. I, I initially made these thinking people were maybe gonna be interested in spelling out their name or something like that. And then sure. what happened is some art galleries got, got wind of them and said they really saw it more as a grid install with the whole alphabet. So that's where, where we're at at the moment. Yeah. That's exciting. Some uh, examples on my, on my website of the alphabets. What's your website? So it's Susan Curry, C-U-R-R-I-E, create.com. Com. Great. So, right. so I'm hearing not only are you taking these colors and combining with the nautical alphabet flags or symbols, but you're also taking another step and you're deciding on the form factor you're deciding on the display you've got these diamond polished acrylic blocks that they're part of and and then you're putting them into a larger display that, so that that's got to be very impressive and as i listen to you talk about it it's like okay yes that is yet another depth of not just bringing two things together that are disparate but you're also finishing it in a way that you could finish in a hundred thousand different ways, but you're making a choice that likely feels for you like, okay, I'm going down a path toward a finished product. And with all those choices, how do you decide? I guess is my question. How do you decide like the, the particular way that you're going to finish your artwork when you've got all of these creative things coming together? I have an idea in mind. I could show you actually, I don't mean to get up in the middle of our recording, but these are some of them here. Okay. They look like these are some smaller versions of. Okay, so what I'm seeing right here is you turned it sideways and, and it just looks like a glass block in that direction, and yet it almost looks like a very thin aquarium at the same time. Yeah. And, and so it has that kind of optical water characteristic to the display. And those are, those are what, eight by eight? These here are just five by five, but the ones five by five. all are 10 by 10. I actually just did a um, commission work where they wanted 20 by 20 size 
So we did some mm-hmm. really great ones, which were beautiful. But I, I've seen acrylic. I've had work printed on acrylic before, and I didn't like the hardware that went through the front. I thought that was a distraction. I didn't like that it was thin. I wanted something that would pop. And I just toiled around out there, scouting out different labs and stuff, going to places like Dugal in New York. Hey, do you guys print this kind of stuff? And I finally found the true artists, a small batch, and they produce this superior you know, quality. And when I first got some of these prototypes a few years ago, I was like, I just knew that like, that's it. It's just they sing. And that honestly is probably what um, attracts most people when they walk into a gallery or to the, the, the store where they are here locally is the material. What yeah, I think it's glass or something. And how do you even make that? Like, I look at that and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like <laughs> it, because it is unusual. And like you said, there's no screws going through the corners. There's no obvious way that that I could make it. And so yeah. you find an artisan like you did in Seattle yeah. and, and all of a sudden it becomes something unique. I think yeah. I just had some division in mind of when I saw it, I knew it. And- had I not found these guys, I might be onto something else at this point. As I'm thinking about this process of finding something that resonated with you that was unusual, I'm reminded that I, I hired a uh, contractor who I'd shot his wedding, and he had traded out built-in bookshelf for part of his wedding fee in my house. And it was in my 1922 bungalow. It looked like it was built in 1922. And mm-hmm. so when we wanted to... Uh, do a remodel and didn't want it to look like we had a 2008 house when we were done we approached him and one of the things he did was for the the porch railing he took six inch wide boards and i think he took it down to five and a quarter inch Mm -hmm. he said when people look at this they won't be thinking common and it was just taking that three quarters of an inch off on the vertical boards on our on our our railing on our porch and our house we often get people shocked that we've remodeled our home and i think it's those little cues like that Mm -hmm. that you're looking for something unusual you're looking for something that said this is handcrafted and it looks like you've really achieved that with that those are those are beautiful i wish everyone could see it right here Uh, but the the bright colors and then the the thin aquarium type of approach as far as the look and feel of them. I'm on to some new work that I that involves manipulating my lens baby images in in, hmm. in a very abstract way and printing them on this surface. So um, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait. That's really great. So moving from New England to to South Florida. Uh, yes. West yeah. It, it was was there. I mean, that's a big life change. You'd spent your whole life in Boston yeah. and and off you went. What was the impetus and was there anxiety around that move? Yeah, so I've been teaching a little bit the past 10 years at the Palm Beach Photographic Center down here in the winter, so I was familiar with the area. Our kids were just out of college. My husband got a job offer out of the blue to come down here and we just said, let's do it. And it was pre-pandemic, so we kind of beat that that rush and we, yeah we just never look back it's a nice change it's a different way of life much more relaxed and casual and then the weather for me is just a, a wonderful thing yeah. sunshine so for what many of us would have been a huge life change and and uh, soul-searching thing for you you were ready yeah yeah the time the timing uh, was right 
so pronounced. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. and I, I have seen that the, the further on I get in exploring new things and having some of them be successful and not fall on my face like I'm often afraid of, mm-hmm. the more willing I am to say, hey, there might be a bright future ahead. And we don't all approach that. And I think in seasons in our life, we kind of hunker down and are focused on what could go wrong. And I, I'm glad to hear that this season that, that allowed you to move once your kids were out of college was was recent and sounds like it's continuing. That's great. Yeah, I also found a great creative community down here, which was a pleasant surprise. I just didn't expect everybody to be so open and rooting for one another. That wasn't necessarily always the case in in the Boston area. So this has been really inspiring and I think has fueled some of my growth as an artist. How did you find that? I I don't know. There's just a... People are a little bit more outgoing maybe here. I, I got involved with a, a writing group down here. I teach a little bit at the, at the photo center, as I mentioned. It just seems to happen ra- rather organically. There's a very big um, arts community here. So I, I try to go to a lot of arts and cultural events, gallery openings, just, just to keep, keep my antenna out and, and kind of make it make it my, my intention to to stay active. We also have yeah. a wonderful uh, little art center here in the Armory Art Center in West Palm Beach where I'm taking a class. I'm taking a screen printing class. It's something completely different, but, but I love it. And again, meeting a lot of curious people there as well. I think the question after having this half hour conversation with you that comes up is around your book. And so the book is called Superflow, Light Up the Artist in You. Are there some top practices that you would say, or even looking for a different way of living that you would recommend as we wind up our conversation? Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity to to speak about the book. I think for me, one of the things, one of the practices that has been essential that I I think can be so helpful to engage with regularly is just to, to stop and ask yourself this question of, who do you think you are? Um, not looking for any grade or, or any right or wrong answer again, but we're just always in flux and we're always evolving or becoming, I guess is a better word. And we're not necessarily the person who we were two years ago or sometimes even two months ago. So I think as an artist, we can get stuck in loops. Oh, I'm a photographer. Oh, I'm a poet. Oh, I'm this, that. And if you just can take um, some time and stop and 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 ask if that's really true for you, that, that identity today, right now, I think it can be a really helpful exercise and recognize that you can let that go and you can listen in and maybe hear the new you. So that to me, I think it's one of the early limbs in my book and and that was put there on purpose. And I also can't say enough for just finding some practice for some some inner work, for sorting yourself out, for taking your wonder with you out quietly alone. And whether that's a daily walk or sitting on your porch every morning or listening to a wonderful piece of music once a week or, or writing a few lines quotes that you love, just just take making that a priority in, in your days to, to get quiet and kind of fuel 
your creative spirit. So I could go on and on. I think they're all, all the limbs are essential, but if I had to point out a couple, um, I just think those two things could really make a difference. So asking yourself, who do you think you are? And constantly reevaluating because that changes and we're becoming as we grow and live. And then I like the idea of taking your wonder for a walk. I feel like having known you through your book and now through this conversation that a great deal of consideration is put into the way you live and the things you write and into the photography you make and your artwork on the walls. It's a privilege that you've been able to share that with us and give us a glimpse into your journey, as well as that you've given us tools in the form of Superflow, and it sounds like you've got several other books that, that can help us find our consideration and to consider our lives as we move forward so that we're acting out of who we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So appreciative of, of this time, and I love what you're doing. I'm a, a huge podcast fan, and I, I haven't heard of anyone focusing on this topic just yet, so this is great. Yeah, I definitely want to focus more on the motivation and the, the journey, not as it relates to accomplishments, but as it relates to our ongoing, what you described as we're becoming, and mm -hmm. that that is that's my goal as well. So mm -hmm. thanks. Glad that resonates. And again, thanks for joining me on the show, Susan. And I hope that we get to have a conversation again sometime, maybe in, maybe in person. Thank you, Craig. My pleasure. You're welcome. Remind us of your website and any other ways that people might be able to look up your work. My website is Susan Curry, C-U-R-R-I-E, creative.com. Fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for joining me for the Moving Through Fear podcast, where we explore what it means to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom.